0: all right welcome to this episode of constitutional corner i'm seth bird coming off a couple of harvest day talks we're going to continue in that sort of trend talk about Issues we see after harvest aids and dealing with fiber quality, which we've also discussed a little bit. So we're going to talk about weathering, fiber quality effects due to environmental conditions prior to harvest, and even touch on a little bit of stuff that we see after harvest. Before we go too far into it, we'll go through introductions, and we'll just start with Georgia.
1: All right. I guess that's me, because I'm in Georgia. My name is Camp Han, cotton specialist at the University of Georgia here in Tifton. Thanks,
0: Camp. Let's go to Alabama.
2: Steve Brown, Auburn University in Alabama.
0: Thanks, Steve. Let's move over to Mississippi. Brian, Perilisi, Mississippi State. And then we'll finish in Tennessee.
3: Hey, Tyson Raper
0: in Jackson, Tennessee with the University of Tennessee. Thanks, Tyson. And we have maybe a more narrow geography covered in this. Certainly not to say that weathering doesn't occur across the belt, but it sure does help or hurt, I guess, when you have rainfall involved. And so we've come to areas that maybe see more rainfall or maybe more hurricanes or conditions that are going to lead to weathering. So speaking of that, from the four of you, your experience, what kind of conditions do you see when you have fiber quality losses due to weathering? What do those conditions look like for you? And Tyson, we'll just start back with you.
3: Thanks, Seth. So we've had a couple of years where we've seen some sprouting in the seed. I don't like rainfall on an open bowl. We typically get it. What I would like to see is a quick event, not a hard rainfall event. We have a couple of varieties that string out and can fall out, but most of ours are pretty tight in the burr, and we don't deal with a lot of wind typically. So what I really hope to see if we do have weathering would be, you know, a couple of rainfall events, not consecutive days of cloudy weather, but, you know, rainfall, and if we can dry out, get some sunlight, Typically, the impacts are fairly negligible. If we get a prolonged period of rainfall, that's when we really start to see concerns with string out and fallout and then strong reductions in
0: quality. Thanks, Tyson. We'll just move on down to to Mississippi. Brian, how about you? What conditions are you seeing there that kind of worry you from a weathering standpoint?
4: We're seeing a lot of the same as Tyson. What worries me the most is we haven't had good opening weather to begin with. I mean, We're having periods of rain, just damp conditions. You know, like today it was foggy, cloudy, and then not getting the sun to open the bowls. And then the bowls that you see that are open are exposed to the fiber quality issues that we'll speak of. There's a lot of hardlock bowls because they're trying to open when it's cloudy. You know, we're trying to put harvest days out in windows when we can get them. And we just haven't had the period of weather we need at the time we need it. So I would say we're experiencing right now what worries me the most, which is just no more than a day of consecutive good weather. The forecast, if it holds true, looks good this point forward. But We're having a lot of issues with hardlock bowls, the ones that are open, worry about the quality, the color, grades, and we still have a lot of bowls to
0: open. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, hardlock bowls can be a real pain. We've run into that a lot too.
2: Steve? Yeah, in parts of Alabama and really across the lower southeast, we've had a lot of rainfall since the late July. Some places in southwest Alabama probably have not gone more than three or four days of rainfall, again, dating back to the midsummer. What we, I guess, dislike or even fear the most is what we experienced probably in 2020 when we had actually multiple hurricanes. Normally, a hurricane will come through, and the weather post-hurricane is just absolutely beautiful. Last year, it was persisting overcast conditions, kind of like what I've already described. So that's one part of it, the rainfall events that persist, cloudy weather that persists. The other thing that I would throw out is, particularly as we go to the southern half of Alabama, is just general weathering because the crop's sitting out there and ready to go, but we got other things to do. Some of that's picker capacity, some of that's competition for peanut harvest. So again, we experienced some yield and fiber quality losses because our crops sitting out there, we just can't get at it, in addition to the weather events that come. and If you look at historical data, the latter half of September and both halves of October are supposed to be the driest months in the lower southeast. But that average has been blown out probably the last few years. And so that really hurts when we see rainfall, big rainfall, heavy rainfall, extended rainfall, on open cotton. It just makes you feel sick. And we've had a lot of that probably in the last three years and certainly again this year.
0: Thanks, Steve. A lot of good points there. And Camp will end up there with you in Georgia.
2: You know, same things that Dr.
1: Brown was talking about. I'll say that from pretty much – let's see a couple of weeks ago is was thursday september 23rd from then until this past sunday which would have been october 3rd was incredible weather it cooled off a little bit the sun came out and then really last week the temperatures went up and so i mean we had some really probably the best weather we've seen since july but some people started putting out the and All that good stuff. But again, you know, in Georgia and South Alabama, it's peanut time, right? So everybody's focused on that. Right now, we've got some stuff sitting out in the field ready to go. But kind of echoing what everybody else has said, the conditions that scare me the most, you know, slow, steady rainfall over the past, like really in Georgia, it's starting today and probably will be tomorrow. And Thursday and Friday is kind of so so chances. That scares me a little bit, the low light conditions aren't good for us. And then two, that's going to slow down peanut harvest even more, which is going to push back cotton even further than it needs to be. Last week was really good weather, but we're kind of looking at some stuff that scares me a little bit this week.
0: Thanks, Cam. That's a great conversation about the conditions that we, I guess, expect to see weathering concerns in. In terms of what the results are, either from a visual standpoint, what you see on the plants, or from a fiber quality standpoint, what do you guys see as the main results of weathering conditions? I think
2: everybody would say we're going to readily see a loss in color. Maybe some of you guys in the Delta and even a little farther north, y'all may harvest in such good conditions, you may get a lot of 11s and 21s. 11 is extremely rare, but we're going to see a loss in color. We're probably going to see a loss in fiber strength, and those things are going to hurt us. And then you know, some of the extraneous issues we'll talk about maybe later on, but those would hit us immediately, and those are the things we'd see the quickest, I think. I would
4: agree. I mean, you mentioned the delta, so I guess I'll go first. With these conditions, cloudy, you're definitely going to see it loss in color and strength due to environmental conditions degradation. If I put my producer hat on for a minute, whenever we would get numerous hurricanes back to back, where you'd get the weather you spoke of where a big rain event followed by pretty weather you know, followed by another one. You can take one of them on the chin pretty good, but once you start getting into two and three events like that, it seems like you start losing not only grade, but usually adds up to 100, 150 pounds per episode. That's from my producer hat perspective. I'd like to hear what y'all have to say in terms of how all that boils down. But if conditions are improved, we're definitely going to have grade issues and not only that fiber quality.
2: Y'all think a heavy dew even contributes to some of the fiber diminish, the qualities diminishing? That was something that I definitely wanted to cover in a minute. I don't know
0: how much it causes on the plant. I'm also in a place where a heavy dew is like once a week, you know, so <laughs> I may not be the best one to talk about heavy dews. Well, usually a
4: heavy dew is followed by a clear, dry day. If it wasn't, you know, it's the same conditions. With the dew, a lot of times it followed by sun. You know, it's a great question.
3: Along those lines, on the dew. So I'm getting questions now. We've got two or three positions in the top of the plant. We're looking here on the 5th of October. We technically ought to have all acres at least started from a defoliation standpoint next week. But I got guys that are willing to wait and try to see if they can mature out those uppermost. I've been, you know, trying to argue this very point, this conversation. What are we losing? You know, by pulling the trigger now, sure, we're sacrificing some of the uppermost, but if we wait, we're sacrificing quality and potentially weight of the lower ones and even just a do. And to your point on October, I looked at average rainfall for Tennessee. Historically, October's supposed to be the driest month. This year for us, we got a lot of rain on the first, and I think we we're already some areas over two and a half, three inches. So This bowl weathering and quality issues really, really important to us this year as we're trying to figure out: well, do we wait? Do we try to get that next, you know, seventy-five pounds, or do we try to hold what we've got and not sacrifice anything down low?
4: I've had the same questions, Tyson. Questions about: Am I defoliating too early? For that very reason, they're worried that they're applying too early at the expense of the uppermost bowls, but. The same wet conditions, target spot, or just bowl rot in general, you know they're at that 55 60% threshold of open bowls, if you want to call them open. So I kind of err on the side of let's defoliate on the earlier side rather than later.
2: In the lower areas, we hadn't been able to get in the field to defoliate. Kind of like Camp said, last week we had the best weather. We thought, man, we've turned the corner, but that's not the case. We probably had six or eight inches of rain across much of central and southwest Alabama in the last two or three days it's terrible but we couldn't even do it and I would also say that in the lower southeast we rarely go too early I wish we got in sense of urgency that you just talked about Brian as you see in Mississippi
1: Tyson and Brian I'm curious how many nodes does like an average plant produce in the mid-south like what would y'all expect to see
4: we're in the ballpark of 20 to 22 nodes. Some of our varieties, unlike this year, might be 18 to 20, but we have some cotton this year that is definitely 22 nodes if it wasn't pitched well. I mean, and it has long internodes facing is leaning over. To answer your question, 20 to 22 nodes would be a ballpark figure for an average.
1: I was just curious because like whenever I went around doing defoliation meetings this year, I showed some of the money tree data that Jared got back in 19. And it showed that 91% of yield came from below node 16. And so whenever we talk about, you know, sacrificing the stuff in the bottom to get the stuff in the top, like I drew a red line on the PowerPoint slide. And I was like, hey, below this red line, you got 91% of your yield. Do you really want to sacrifice that for a couple bucks up here in the top kind of thing?
4: I will say this. Stephen Hall did some work. He was a grad student at Mississippi State. He just graduated. He had zone one as through node, I think it was 12 or 13, and it was 67% in his data was, you know, through that zone. But when you get up above 16, like you say, it was very minimal.
3: You know, we're typically around 19 to 21 nodes, I'd say, on average. And, yeah, we can do pretty well with what may be short cotton to you. How many nodes do you
1: typically see, Camp? Dr. Brown might be the one to ask, but I would expect anywhere from
2: 22 to 25. And it's kind of what I would expect to see. I've counted in that 20 range, you know, plus or minus. And this year we got a lot more nodes, but there's nothing on them. It's just regrowth. I do think it would be a great exercise for a farmer to take five minutes and walk out and just look at about three or four plants that he thinks are average plants and recognize that about above 18, 19, or 20, there's nothing to go for. It's maybe 17 or less. I think that's a great exercise if people would just take a little time. You often hear consultants and others in real aggressive growing areas. Well, they're putting on 25, 27, 28 nodes. Well, that's very rare from what I've seen. Those upper nodes are very non-meaningful and they contribute very little.
0: That's a good point. That's one thing I wanted to clarify. Are you talking about total nodes on the plant, total or nodes. are you talking about yeah, fruit-bearing
2: nodes?
4: Well, total would be, I guess, a total nodes. Whenever I was saying the 67%, I was talking about fruity nodes.
0: Like Steve's saying, I see regularly, depending if it's irrigated or dry land, three, four, five nodes at the top of the plant that don't do anything, just hang out. You know, So just to clarify that we're talking about the nodes we actually expect to see a, a harvestable bowl on versus just a node the plant puts out at the end of the year. I do want to revisit kind of the do question. And if we go back to kind of what's out there. So if you want a resource for weathering beyond this conversation, probably the best resource that's out there is a the cotton physiology today article that was published, I believe, in the early nineties. But a lot of things have changed in cotton. I don't think fiber's changed that much in the last twenty years. And you know, I can't imagine Steve that do I may not know how bad it gets, but it certainly can't help anything if you have dewy mornings. And I think you mentioned color. I think when we talk about fiber quality problems due to weathering, color grades are usually what we think about. You know, this article lists a lot of other physical properties of fiber that could be degraded from weathering. Do y'all see anything outside of color? Is there anything that y'all have seen or noticed or picked up on from producers or Jenners that
2: relates back to weathering? In addition to diminishing just the brightness, the whiteness of the fiber, at times you're going to get some bleed off from the burrs. Again, that's a color thing. But I also think over time, you're going to see a degradation in fiber strength. And it's interesting because the market at times rewards different fiber quality components. At one time, fiber strength was the throbbing issue. Now I think it's more length. Strength, I think, will be affected as well. and may be a little bit fiber length, but mostly I would say color and strength would be the first things I would see. I would agree with that. That's the most logical. I can't
4: necessarily prove it, but you think just degradation in general would affect strength. But I think what we're going to run to the most this year if the weather were to break and we could harvest out would be potentially color, especially on our bottom bowls.
2: One thing we see... Okay, we come through this hopefully by next Monday or Tuesday camp in the lower southeast. We're going to see some sunshine. And, of course, very few people have picked today. But let's say we've been picking and then we get a rain or a day or two of rain. Yes, I want to be urgent and get it out. But if we can give that crop a day or two further to brighten, we may not lose as much color as we might otherwise lose if we write in just as soon as we possibly could after a rainfall event. Yes, Steve, it's like you're reading my notes. That's one thing we always talk
0: about. If you get some rain, give it some time to dry out, not only just to dry the fiber out, but also get that bleaching effect. If you've got color issues, let that sun try to bleach some of those color stains out and hopefully it can improve your grades. You can wait on it, but that is a very good point. I mean,
4: it happens if the weather cooperates and it gets bright, it will whiten it.
2: And a farmer's sitting there and he's gotta make the decision, all right, am I in a year when I'm gonna keep getting these rainfall events? Or behind this one, if I'm going to have an extended period that I'm going to be able to pick, and he's got to make some guesses to that, because if it's going to be more rain like this, I'm going to go get it. I can't make it be great, but I'm going to get the best I can as quickly as I can. Yeah, that's a good point. And
0: I do want to go back to one thing I said. When I
2: say fiber hasn't changed,
0: I am not saying fiber quality hasn't changed. Let me back up. I just mean the components of fiber. I don't want to get a bunch of breeders coming after me with pitchforks and torches. Quality we've made great strides in, but I think the components of the fiber itself, you know, cotton fiber is cotton fiber. And so some of these things that degrade it are going to degrade it regardless. So we kind of covered a little bit how to mitigate. I mean, it's kind of hard to mitigate the weather this time of year, but you know, waiting for sunny days will help. Obviously, being timely with harvest behind your harvest aids help. So you don't have that fiber sitting out. But one thing that, you know, camp and Steve, you guys talked about before we got started was sprouting. And so if y'all don't mind, just revisit that conversation along with the seed coat issue.
1: So I got a call from a couple agents a couple weeks ago with some pictures of seed sprouting. And I mean, we've had conditions Mm -hmm. that are conducive for that in the Southeast. And so we kind of talked about it normally, you know, following all the rain and stuff. Like I said, it dried out, sun came out and all that good stuff. And all those seedlings that it sprouted they, you know, will eventually die and we'll be good to go. Like it's really a non-issue. But the question that the agents were posing to me was, hey, does this increase our risk of seed coat fragments? And so I called Doc Brown that afternoon. We talked for a while about it and kind of with consulting some other folks as well, came to the consensus that the sprouting doesn't really lead to the seed coat issue, but it's more of the seed that keeps imbibing water and kind of drying out and doesn't germinate because it's a little more likely to break in the process of harvesting gin and so on and so forth. That seed coat is going to get caught in the fiber in that type situation.
2: Wouldn't you say, Dr. Brown? That's what I understand. The C cup fragment issue was almost a novel thing that really hadn't appeared in any way, shape, or form to the degree it occurred last year across the lower southeast. And the classing office in Macon, I think the final numbers were 40% of the bales. And it was almost between two and a half and three million bales through that classing office, 40% were degraded. You know, on the loan value, that's 4.45 cents. It probably didn't garner that much of a reduction in the cash market. It was probably a penny or so less than that. In fact, the industry loves it if you've got a blemish, but otherwise good quality because they can buy you at a discount and get a pretty good spinning product. So the seed coat fragment issue was an ugly one. Maybe sprouting is not going to really contribute much to that. It is going to degrade the quality of seed and its feed value to livestock producers, but they seem to be different issues.
0: And just so we're clear, I mean, do y'all see that more of an issue with normal rain or maybe normal storms? Or do you see it spike more when you've got, you know, a heavier hurricane season?
2: Hurricane Sally came up through the lower portion near Mobile Bay last year on September 16th. Our crop was ready to foliate, but it was sitting there. And rather than just move through and have bright, sunny weather, we had about 10 or maybe 15 days of just overcast conditions, drizzling rain. And I think that contributed, and then we had two or three other hurricane-type events that contribute to that. So persisting weather, warm conditions, repeated rainfall, I think all those contributed to unprecedented numbers on sea coat fragments.
1: Dr. Brown, I don't know that we had this conversation or not, but I kind of started to do some digging, because people started asking about, well, we had Hurricane Michael come through, and that didn't cause any issues. And so I got to digging in some of the old classing reports and I looked at the last classing report from the 2018-2019 and season and it showed a spike in that very last report and showed, you know, I think the number was around 30% of okay. the bales classed at that very last report were called for seed coat fragments. And so I hmm. think that's just another illustration that hey, it's not a single event that does it. It's degradation over time or that weathering over time that could lead to an issue like we saw last year. I've looked at it and I think we had three. It was Sally, Zeta, and Ada, I think, were the ones that caused significant issues. And it was like, I mean, maybe two weeks apart, three weeks apart from each other. You know, the sun didn't really come out once Sally hit. So that's what caused us so many issues. And I think that data from 2018 and 2019 shows that as yeah.
2: well. And going into this fall, we were thinking, hey, that's past. We hope we're not going to see that again. No cotton has been classed except in Texas. And Texas has a little bit showing up, about one5 to 2% in their lower portion of the state that's being classed. And it's there which tells me that, hey, the classers are looking for it. Maybe a little more alert to this issue on a belt-wide basis than they were last year because we felt like we had, not unwarranted, but we had the target on our backs and it got worse and it got worse.
0: As our colleague Guy Collins said in the last episode, hurricanes are bad. Mm.
4: (laughs) Yeah, well, just to echo what they're saying, Mississippi was in that bullseye from what I can remember probably 10, 15 years ago. Maybe a couple of years prior to Katrina and Rita, a lot of the same conditions where your lint and the burr itself just gets so saturated. And then it gets a repeat hurricane in a week or so. And it just, from that level of saturation, that's where I've seen most of the sprouting. And then all those, you know, other things that come about due to that, that could be related to ginning and fiber quality, seed issues. I would agree with everything y'all said.
3: I was actually in Mississippi at that point, And I remember it like it was yesterday. I've seen sprouting before, but this was fully expanded cotyledons coming out of open bowls. It was very, very hard to look at. And I remember the conversation then about when you basically have that young seedling emerging from that bowl, the seed coats almost sloughed off. And so as soon as it hits the gym stand, there's nothing to prevent it from just completely shattering and then you're asking your link cleaners to do something that they're not really designed to do. We had some terrible issues. I've only seen it once here in Tennessee. We typically don't get that prolonged period of wet conditions, but we had a little blip there too from extraneous matter on the seed coat. That's a tough thing. I was in grad school when it happened. There's actually a term for a sprout while on the parent. Does anybody remember what that is? Bonus points here, Seth. (laughs)
0: <laughs> if you're listening from home go ahead and call into this recording so we can give you a prize call in
1: you're gonna give them tyson's it's phone good. number so they can call him directly and
3: yeah. give him the answer yeah
0: we'll post it yep
3: it's the victory.
0: yes i
4: remember that now that you say it that was some tough years for mississippi in cotton
3: mm. yeah
1: looking at all the seed coat research that's been done in recent history it all came out of mississippi you know i mean back in mid 2000 and everything that i've looked at was from like that 08 to 2010 type range
2: one thing i learned today that was interesting on the extraneous matter calls i think everybody understands that when the cotton's class machine is doing the color the length strength and micronaire those sorts of things but then the human classer opens up that sample Maybe divides it into force and visually inspects it for several things. When you get an extraneous matter call, you only get one call. It could have bark in it. It could have grass in it. But if it's got more seed coat, it's going to be called seed coat fragment. Now I also learned that if it's plastic, plastic trumps everything, and that gets a seventy-one call. But I didn't realize that you could only have one penalty. I guess that's like a football game. If you have three penalties on one play, you just get one mark off usually. So that was interesting to me. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate the conversation
0: today. I think we've covered a lot when it comes to weathering. There's an older newsletter, but still a very valuable resource I think, for all of us about weathering. And we'll get a link posted to that on the Grow Plant Health Exchange page where our episodes are housed. Thanks to you four for joining. Appreciate your time. Thanks to Cotton Incorporated for the sponsorship. You can find us on Twitter at Cotton Corner Pod. Find us on any of the podcast apps. If you'd like to give us a rating, please do. If you'd like to suggest a topic for us to cover, please do as well. Thanks to Keith Edmondson for the music and thank you for listening.